Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's your host, Brandon Laws. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. The demands of HR and payroll are endless, and Zenium provides a complete solution for both so that you can focus on what you do best, which is growing your organization. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Okay, today's episode is with a returning guest, Gleb Sipersky. He wrote a new book called Returning to the Office and Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, a manual on benchmarking to best practices for competitive advantage. Gleb did a bunch of research and interviewed a ton of people, leaders like yourself, who are contemplating returning back to the office. Maybe they're already back and they're really, they're trying to figure out what to do for the future. The workplace is inevitably looking a lot different in the future. And Gleb has come up with ways that executives can make strategic and sustainable decisions for the good of their employees and ultimately for the future of their companies. So listen in. You're going to love what Gleb has to say. Lots of great research in the ebook and within our discussion as well. Enjoy the episode. Make sure to follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. And I'd love to hear from you. Take care. Gleb, it is a pleasure to have you back on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you inviting me back, Brandon. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm excited to talk about some of the data that you've uncovered. So you, you came out with a book, Returning to the Office and Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, a manual on benchmarking to best practices for competitive advantage. Let's start with the research part of it. Like, Who'd you interview for this? I interviewed 61 leaders, 14 senior leaders and 47 mid-level managers from 12 organizations that I consulted with on returning to the office in a strategic manner. So as my background is in future-proofing, how do we help ourselves make good decisions It's strategically in our increasingly disrupted future? So that's what I've been focusing a lot on. During COVID, I was helping leaders pivot, and now I'm helping leaders figure out the strategic approach back to the office. So that's 61 leaders, 14 senior level ones, 12 organizations that I helped return to the office. So with the people you interviewed, these are the people making the decisions about whether or not they're going back to work or doing hybrid or fully remote long-term. Is that true? That is exactly true. Yes. So those are the 61 people that I interviewed. And of course, along with that, I have a lot, great deal of external research, as you know, from external surveys and other best practices in behavioral economics on how do you return effectively after such disruptions. I think by the time you wrote this book and published it and did all the research, I think it was closer to the point where people, employers, much like the ones you interviewed, are probably like, okay, we're, we're ready to go back to the office. And then I don't know about where you're at right now, but numbers are not great. And I'm in Oregon and employers are really rethinking that back to work thing. And, and they're just, we're just sort of pushed, kicking the can down the road, so to speak, like just delaying things. What are the business leaders that you're talking to? And even the ones that you research, what are they saying about returning to work? Well, obviously I keep in touch with my clients and as the Delta situation changes, we adjust the return to the office. But the thing is, the crucial thing about the return to the office strategy that I set up with these leaders is that it's flexible and it's adapted for long tail risks. And long tail risks are lower likelihood scenarios, but ones that have, can have a 
significant impact. It's also called long-term liabilities, significant impact down the road. And one of these very big one, very clear one, which you know was pretty obvious from the early part of the pandemic, was the risk of serious variants. You know, if you remember, we had a variant that made up the third wave sometime in April and May that made it somewhat serious. Fortunately, we had enough vaccination that it was mostly tamped down. And there was obviously, when I was working with the leaders to make a strategic plan, this was the possibility. So what we did was we made sure in the return to the office to set up hybrid models with some remote options. That means that most people, so hybrid model with some remote options, that means that most people in the company are coming in hybrid a couple of days a week, one to two days a week, so 70 to 90%. 10 to 30% are working full-time remotely. So all of that time, full-time remotely, depends on the company. So I worked with a Fortune 200 company that's a manufacturing company, high-tech manufacturing, and of course, they have more people working in the office, less people working full-time remotely, but they still have that. Now, the crucial thing about having some people work full-time remotely is that it creates a culture and the risk management, ERM, enterprise risk management process, which enables some people to always work remotely, that creates processes and systems and culture that makes it very flexible. And people are able to go at a pretty short notice from hybrid work, one to two days in office, to full-time remote work. And that's what happened with companies that I worked with, for example, in Florida. About six weeks ago, I think, they transitioned their Florida offices from a kind of a global company to working full-time remotely after the cases in Florida got really out of hand. I mean, if you remember that, that's cases in Florida are the highest they've ever been throughout the pandemic, and so are deaths. And then that was an example where, okay, in that region, definitely not a good idea to work in the office if you can possibly avoid it. And so that's kind of the strategy. You want to have some people always working full-time remotely, a minority, and that way, and some people coming in hybrid, and that way you can easily and quickly switch back and forth depending on the situation. So you want to prepare for that. And most leaders, unfortunately, are not prepared for that. I mean, look what Apple is doing. It's saying everyone has to go back to the office Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Really? (laughs) Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday? I mean, those are kind of ridiculous days in the first place because, you know, you have to go on a Thursday. You can't even have a four-day weekend. So you can't, you know, live somewhere else, come back. You know, that's a problem itself. But the big other problem is that that forces people everyone in Apple to have the same schedule. That's bad in a number of ways. Why is that bad? Well, it's not adapted to the specific team. Now, when I talk about the hybrid first model with some remote options, I'm not talking about the top level CEO saying, this is what everyone does, and then everyone has this top level down policy. No, it's a team-led hybrid model, which means you give broad guidelines to your people supervisors, where people who are supervising the lower level teams of six to eight people, those rank and file staff, and then you tell them, you make a decision for your team based on your specific needs. You don't have that authoritarian top-down approach. Each different teams have different needs, right? And the reason you make a decision based on the teams, you have guidelines for them. So some people work full-time remotely, some people come into the office, but why do you come to the office? You know, what's the reasoning for it? The only reason to come to the office when you look at the research is to do collaborative tasks. 
So collaborative tasks are the only thing you should be doing in the office. People are much, much more productive on their individual tasks at home. That's why overall productivity rose 10 to 14% during the switch to the lockdowns. So then that's across the average of collaborative individual tasks. Individual tasks are even better done at home. The only reasons you should be in the office is collaboration. And that's how team leaders need to make a decision based on the amount of collaboration they're doing. So it sounds like with the clients that you're consulting with and the organizations that are like just seeking your help about, you know, what's our approach long term? It sounds like hybrid is a a pretty good model and not being so rigid about whether it's fully remote or or in person or anything like that. But of the people that you interviewed, what are their plans? What were they saying that they are planning to do? They're planning to do mainly hybrid. So like I mentioned, 70 to 90% of the workforce depending again on the company and its needs and how much could they collaborate, they're going to be coming in and they are coming in one to two days a week on average. The default is one day a week. And the reason you want that default is because leaders have an intuition, a temptation to have see their people in the office much more than they should. It goes against our intuition for leaders to tell people, okay, go home because you're much more productive at home with your individual tasks. I don't want to see you here. (laughs) You know, be productive for the company. Look at the company's bottom line. You need to do your individual tasks at home. That's where you're productive. Leaders, you know, they, the, the opposite temptation is the case. They want to lead. They feel good being in person. They tend to be social. They tend to be gregarious. You know, the, I think I start my book with a quote from a CEO who tells me that, you know, hey, I really like working with people. I like to be surrounded by people. It feels good. It's pleasant. It's the atmosphere that I like. But you know what? Increasingly, when I'm trying to hire people, people managers, kind of mid-level managers, because the company is expanding, they're asking me, do I really have to come move my family? Do How much time do I have to spend working in the office? And there's a clear desire by lots of people to not come to the office. So the retention and recruitment issue is a major one. That's driving a lot of companies to allow substantial full-time remote work. So minority 10 to 30% and the rest are on that one to two day a week schedule. That's 70 to 90%. Of any of the CEOs that you talk to, any of them like wanting to rush people back to work and, and have everybody in person? Oh yeah, definitely. When I started working for these companies, a number of CEOs did want that. And you know what? Then we talked about it and we figured it out and we, did some internal surveys, which is, you know, you'd be kind of surprised by how few companies do internal surveys but of employee preferences. So I was consulting with this large organization of peer executive groups across the world. It's based in the United States, but it's peer executives across the world of companies that are in size from smaller ones, like 50 people, to mid-sized large ones, like 3,000 people. So 50 to 3,000 range, many thousands of executives. And as part of our work, we surveyed the executives of these mid-sized, smaller and mid-sized companies, and we asked them, did you do a survey of your people's preferences for returning to the office? And that was, we asked them that in April, May. And what we found out is that only 44% of them, only 44% did surveys and employee preferences. That's ridiculous. That's a dangerous judgment error. So I talk in the book a lot about these cognitive biases the dangerous judgment errors we fall into because of how our brain is wired. And this one is called the false consensus effect. We tend to feel that other people who are in our in-group, in our tribe, who we like 
people who are in our companies will share the same opinions that we do. And we don't ask them their opinions because we feel, well, if I feel this way, they probably feel this way. So I don't even need to borrow. That is a big problem. That's what the executives make bad, bad decisions around. So with every company that I worked with, I made sure that they did employee preference surveys. And the surveys overwhelmingly say that the majority of people want to be hybrid. Well, not all companies. One company had the majority of people wanting to be fully full-time remote. That was a specific case where it's kind of a research company and everyone could do their individual work at home. So most of those people want to be fully remote. But in general, the other companies, most people want to be hybrid, something like 50, 70%. Then something like 15, you know, I think at the lowest end was 12. And that was the Fortune 200 manufacturing company where a number of people have to be in the office. 12% wanted to be fully remote. And then something like, you know, going into the 30% range wanted to be fully remote. So we know that people are resigning. It's called the great resignation for a reason. Top reason for people resigning is employers not giving them the schedule that they want, the flexible schedule that they want. And this is a major reason for people leaving companies. I mean, this is a reason, you know, I was talking about Apple. Employees at Apple are kind of rebelling against the CEO's guidance against Tim Cook. And, you know, this is very rare. Employees at Apple have a very good culture. They tend to be very happy. But they're publicly saying that, hey, this is a serious problem. Great people are leaving. They're resigning. Morale is down. This is bad. And so you, you have Apple. You know, it doesn't really get any bigger than that seeing clear, clear problems from trying to rush people back to the office. So using those examples and using that internal company data at all of these companies, the CEOs were convinced that they don't shouldn't rush back to the office. They should plan this strategically to make people both comfortable and to give people clear guidelines for the future. One of the big problems that I see with companies is that they say, well, we'll experiment and we'll figure it out Going forward, we'll, you know, we don't know yet, we'll just be flexible. That is a problematic perspective because when you say that to employees, they have uncertainty and they don't know what's going on. And so they look for a new job. <laughs> so if you want good retention and, of course, good recruitment, that is not the approach you should take. So today is September 9th, and something happened today, uh, and you can pass on this question if you want, if you just don't have an opinion on it yet, but United States President Joe Biden came out and said that employers over 100 will need to mandate vaccinations for their staff, I think for in-person work, or they need to test on a regular basis. I, I don't know all the details of it, but I just, I've heard that stat of over 100 employees or so large employers are going to need to require it. Do you think it's going to change the way leaders are thinking about bringing people back if this is now the case? I think it will change a little bit because it will make it easier for them to do what they want to do. Honestly, when I was having conversations with all of these companies, they all had some of them, well, let me say it this way, there's a desire, a temptation, point of conversation in all of these companies that where leaders are like, oh, I wish we could just have a vaccine mandate. <laughs> I wish we could just do that. <laughs> you know, this is just, it would be so much easier for us, so, so much easier, so much less hassle, so much less stress. But very few companies had a vaccine mandate because, of course, this is driving away employees and the retention. Of right, they're, they're, it's fear of losing people, I think. Exactly. So this retention and recruitment, it's also recruitment, fear of not getting the right people. So the company, the manufacturing company that I mentioned, Fortune 200, 
it, uh, it's a semiconductor manufacturing company. They're growing by leaps and bounds. They hired something like 23% of their workforce during the pandemic, and they're growing very quickly. You know, they need to hire people. <laughs> they don't want to hurt their recruitment. So this is a big problem from a recruitment and retention perspective. But what's happening now? Well, Biden essentially giving them cover. To be honest, you'll see that the large majority of CEOs and C-suite leaders are going to be very happy about this behind the scenes. And I know that they don't have to be the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's taking the heat and they're going to be very happy. They're saying, oh, my hands are tied. You know, Biden made me do it. You know, blame him. But they're going to be very happy. And I'm already communicating with some clients who are like, oh, finally, I was waiting for this to, you know, for, for, for an opportunity. So, yeah, definitely people, leaders are pretty happy about this. Going back to just the, the plan for hybrid or remote work, what do employees want? I don't know if you covered that in your interviews and just got a, a sense of what, what the CEOs are telling you about like what their employees are wanting. But I'm curious, what, what do they want about all this? Well, yes. Yeah, so when you look at surveys, I mentioned those internal surveys ranging from 12% to, in most companies, mid-30s percent. Uh, like I said, one company was it was a mid-sized company and it was i think closer to the 60s percent most companies are in that range of 12 no, to 35 percent want full-time remote then the majority want hybrid and that's going to be hybrid i mean something like one to two days a week and come that's going to be 55 to 65 70 percent of the workforce and then something like 15 to maximum 25 percent are going to want to come in full-time back to the office and that's kind of the higher end is the manufacturing company that i mentioned lower end is professional service firms that don't have to do who kind of on-site work of that sort and when you see who wants to come back to the office it's also really interesting so when you see who wants to come back to the office you see that of all employees 80% of white employees on average want, and this is, was an evaluation of um, external survey of white knowledge workers, 80% of white knowledge workers want substantial remote work. So about 20% want to come in to the office full-time. Substantial remote worker full-time. When you look at the minorities, for example, black people, how many of them want substantial remote work? That's either full-time or, you know, one to two days a week in the office. That's going to be 97%. 97%. Why is that? Well, because in the office, they face microaggressions every day. Microaggressions, discrimination, bias, which they don't have to face if they're communicating on Slack and Microsoft Teams and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. They don't face that. They don't have that. Even on video conference, it's not nearly as much. There's still some stuff, which I do trainings for companies. You do need to address digital discrimination and things like, for example, one of the ways it comes out is that minorities, especially women, tend to be interrupted much more often during video conference meetings. And that's a problem. And they tend to be responded to in a short, longer time frame for messages and so on. That's a problem. But so you want to address those specific digital discriminations. But Overall, for if you want good DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, you need to allow people to be substantial remote time and full-time remote as well. That facilitates your DEI. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point that you made. And I think, you know, with this great resignation thing and also looking for and recruiting new talent, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Like if, if minorities 
want to work remotely, now you got access all across the world. You're absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons that the companies that I'm working with are definitely looking at this issue. They're looking to boost their diversity inclusion. And that's natural for them to hire full-time remote staff because you have a lot more people who are minorities who want to work full-time remotely. So that's definitely a very nice boost for them in that diversity arena. And of course, another nice boost for them is expanding their talent pool. They don't have to be limited to, you know, I don't know, this, the, the, the Bay Area, which is where companies based, companies are based, or don't have to be limited to New York City or Chicago or whatever, wherever they're based. They can be hiring people from anywhere. And then it's a nice thing that their cost of living adjustments, their colas are going to be better. So, you know, the cola for Wyoming is going to be much better than the cola for San Francisco. <laughs> for the employers that are deciding, you know, post-pandemic, nope, bringing everybody back, we're not really going to offer remote work or any sort of hybrid approach. What do you think the percentage of employees who would leave uh, if the employer doesn't offer something uh, remote? Yeah, it's hard to say the, per, the exact percentage. We know that from external surveys, and you know, people internally wouldn't survey this, they wouldn't respond. External surveys indicate that people say anywhere from, and this is by surveys like organizations like the Society for Human Resource Management, Harvard Business School, so very credible, high quality with no stake in the outcome. Anywhere from 40 to 55% of employees say they would look for a new job if not given their preferred work option, flexible schedule. And that's what they say. We don't know exactly how many people will be able to find a new job. We don't know all of these sorts of things. But we know that there's a clear intention by employees to leave. And we know that they're resigning in greater and greater numbers. The latest numbers we have are for April and May. For April, something like 3.2 million people left their jobs voluntarily. For May, 3.8 million people left their jobs voluntarily. I suspect we'll see pretty high numbers for June and July and August as well, once those numbers come out from the Labor Department. And so this, is exa this exemplifies the fact that people are leaving. They're definitely going. I would be quite surprised if it's less than 10% who leave because they are not given their flexible work schedule, of course, that's probably not what they will say because it's kind of like a uncomfortable thing to say, you know, hey, I'm leaving because you're a jerk and trying to force me back to the office, right? <laughs> you know, because you want to separate me from my family and make me do two hours of unpaid time and commute, you know, one hour there, one hour back. I don't want that and therefore I'm leaving and you suck. You know, that's not going to be the conversation that happens. The conversation that happens is going to be, oh, I found a new job elsewhere. It just happens to be fully remote. <laughs> and, you, you know, so that's what's that's what employees are going to see. And I can guarantee to you that the ones who are forcing their employees back to the workplace are at a competitive disadvantage now. And the competitive disadvantage will grow. Why is that? Well, because top employees, they have options and they really value their flexible schedules. And the top employees, the high quality employees, they are going to be leaving for more remote jobs. On average, employees are willing to give up an 8% of their salary. And that ranges from, you know, people who want to come back to the office Monday for Friday, nine to five, are not willing to give up any salary for substantial remote work. But people who want full-time remote work are willing to give up, you know, 20% of their salary for, for full-time remote work and in the middle for hybrid folks. People really value their time. 
And during the pandemic, people realized that their time is worth somewhat more than money in some cases that, you know, they're, they're willing to make that trade off. And clearly from surveys and statistics, they are. They're taking lower paying jobs in fully remote or at least mostly hybrid venues. And we see that even interestingly in jobs that are so typically associated with people being focused on pay, 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 like investment banking. You know, JP Morgan is, and Goldman Sachs are forcing all of their bankers to come back to the office. That's like notorious, well-known, and so on. And there was an article in the Wall Street Journal pretty recently about how they're losing their top talent. And their top, I bet. <laughs> yeah, their top talent is going to other places, like smaller investment firms that are saying, hey, come here, we'll give you fully remote options. That's great. Well, you know, those investment bankers are fundamentally associated in culture and you can do interviews with them and you see what they care about. They care a lot about money. <laughs> so they're going to be paid less at these smaller investment firms. We know this. We see that, that from the statistics. But they're still willing to leave and they're because they want that flexible schedule and they value that more than being paid on the higher salaries and prestige of working at Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan. So if that's happening in J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, which is very much associated with money and salary, you know, and working crazy hours, you know, 70 hours, 80 hours a week, well, what's happening at other professions and other careers, right? <laughs> it's definitely happening elsewhere. So based on what you've said about your clients and their plans for hybrid work long term, and even what I know anecdotally about Zenium clients, uh, you know, my employer, and how they're making plans for hybrid approach long term, it sounds like remote work's here to stay in some capacity. And I know employers with this hybrid approach are going to have to make some investments, whether it's in office or just equipment or whatever. But what are you seeing in terms of like the investments that employers are making to make sure that this works? There are several investments. One of those investments is going to be in revising their office space. Now, what's up with office space? Well, office space previous to the pandemic, was mostly individual. It was about 80%, 70%, depending on the company, individual, and maybe 20 to 30% collaborative training rooms, conference rooms, and so on. Now, what's happening after the pandemic? Well, people are coming in much less, and your work activities in the office are much, much more collaborative. You're practically doing no individual tasks. I mean, you can pop in and do a little bit of email, right? But otherwise, you're really doing your individual tasks at home. You know, let's say you're coming in one day a week. What are you doing? You're coming in, you're maybe preparing for a meeting with your team, then you're having a, you know, your team meeting, then you're meeting with a subgroup from your team to do some planning and collaboration, then maybe you have a meeting with somebody else with a cross-functional team, and then you maybe do a little bit of email, and then you go home early, so you skip the evening rush hour. So that's what's happening. <laughs> oh, that, that, that is what people are doing. They don't need cubicles. They don't need their individual office space. And it's not wise to spend your money on those individual offices that are wasted. And Apple is doing not a smart thing by essentially wasting four days of office space and causing everyone to come in Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Not a good idea. So you don't want that. You want to make sure that your people are coming in on an aggregated spread out schedule across the week. And there's ways to do that, you know, pretty easy to figure that out. And then you want to revise your office space. That means that if you have people coming in one day on average, you know, some people fully remote, some people coming in two days a week, most people one day a week on average, that your occupancy compared to before the pandemic is 20%. So for that, uh, for that public space, that for that uh, space that employees are occupying, you still need something like 20% of your space for 
leadership offices. We need to have those closed door conversations for accounting, payroll, stuff like that. Now, for the rest of it, that's based on occupancy. So if 80% of your space is based on occupancy and you have 20% of your previous occupancy, you can get rid of 50, 60% of your office space. And that's great. You're saving a lot of money on office space, on office-based services, janitorial, security, and so on, commercial products like commercial printers and so on. So you're saving a lot of money and the rest of the space. So that's provide some of the funding for investment. And that space, that money that you save, you need to invest it in a one-time revision of your office space to be more collaborative. That means having conference rooms. That means having boardrooms. So conference rooms, larger conference rooms where teams can meet or like larger groups can meet. Boardrooms where smaller groups, subcommittees sort of of teams can meet and informal lounges where people can more informally collaborate. And for those conference rooms, you need high-quality video conference technology. can't stress this enough. There are going to be many, many more hybrid meetings where some people are coming in video, virtually, and you need to have those really good, high-quality video conference technology so that they're not second-class citizens. So that's a video conference. Now, the second thing you need to do, that's changing your office space. The other thing you need to do is realize that your office space is now spread out and it's spread out to your employees' homes. <laughs> they are doing the majority. So you're coming in one day a week. That means four days a week they're working for you from home. And that office space, your employee's office space is now your office. So you need to make sure to treat it like your office and fund it appropriately. You want them to have good equipment, means good laptops, good internet connection, good microphones, video cameras, lighting, comfortable ergonomic furniture, room separators if they need that from kids and so on, soundproofing. All of that stuff needs to happen. And you can redirect the money that you use to support your people in the office and the real estate to that, it's about should be about two to f- companies are spending an average of two to three thousand dollars per year, depending on COLA, so cost of living, well, however much, plus five hundred dollars extra for working parents to address childcare needs. So that's the second area of investment, and the third area of investment needs to be training. People don't know how to work in a hybrid manner. So most people who work are going to be work hybrid. They don't know how to work well in a hybrid manner. Nobody knows. It's still something people are figuring out. And people need to be taught how to collaborate effectively in a hybrid manner and fully virtual manner, how to communicate effectively in a hybrid slash remote setting, how to innovate effectively in these settings. And so I do a lot of these sorts of trainings and how do you do that effectively? Because believe me, collaboration, communication, and innovation are really different in hybrid and remote teams than they are in Monday through Friday, nine to five. Yep. Glad that was a, that was great. I hope for those that are listening, the leaders that are trying to make these investments really took notes and are going to take to heart what you said, just about all the investments to make to make sure this hybrid thing works. So I, I appreciate you providing so much, so much value there. Uh, let's end this conversation with with this. I know this is a lot of work just to get people back to work and just the hybrid to make sure it works, but what blind spots do employers have about getting people back to work and having this hybrid approach? Is there anything that you can think of that is just like people aren't thinking of it and it could be catastrophic for their culture? So I mentioned the false consensus effect where employers believe they know what their employees want and that they really don't. We saw, we're seeing this from Apple. And you know what? We see this from other top companies as well. Google for many months was saying, we'll have to get all our employees back to the office, back to the office, back to the office. 
But as vaccines are available, but as vaccines started becoming available, people figured out that they can, you know, throughout the pandemic, that they can work fine remotely and they can accomplish their tasks. And what happened was that people started leaving when Google kept saying this. Good people started leaving and there was morale disengagement, the hits. And so Google eventually on May 5th announced that, hey, we screwed up. We're sorry. We're not now going to allow up to 20% of our workforce to work full-time remotely. And the rest can come in on a hybrid schedule and have flexibility about which offices they come into, not coming into their original office. So Google, this is, a again, a similar company to Apple in terms of trillion-plus dollar company. It doesn't get much higher than that. And they clearly screwed up. They lost many billions of dollars because they had to change their plans. And, of course, they lost good employees. Amazon, same thing, was saying, well, come back to the office, back to the office, back to the office. And on June 10th, they again, they announced that, hey, we screwed up, we're sorry, we're going to allow people much more flexibility than we previously said that we would. And so we see that top companies are greatly, greatly mistaken about what their employees want and what their employees will be willing to do when they're not given the flexible schedules that they want. So that false consensus effect is one. The other big, big one is called functional fixedness. Functional fixedness. Now, what's that about? Well, you might have heard of this as the hammer-nail syndrome. When we have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So when we have one way of working together, one way of collaborating, one way of functioning, we tend to apply that methodology to all other settings. And that's a big problem. When we're used to Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, now we're transitioning to hybrid and fully remote teams But leaders are still leading in the same way that they did before. HR professionals are still doing HR in the same way that they did before. Managers are still managing. And they didn't figure out that you need to do things differently. You need to communicate differently. You need to innovate differently. You need to collaborate differently. And you need to do performance evaluations differently. And I talk about all of that in my book, Returning to the Office, Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, and benchmarking to best of practices for competitive advantage. So you want to make sure that you learn these things and don't assume, don't stick to that functional fixedness that's the Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, the, you know, the pre-pandemic times, the good old times. Not going to happen, not, not coming back. My guest today has been Gleb Sapersky. Gleb, it's been a pleasure having you back on the show. We'll have to have you back again. You're always so great about doing the research and doing the hard work, and I appreciate the value that you bring to the conversation. So thanks so much. Is there anything that you want to share in parting, point people to your website, anything like that? Well, again, check out my book, Returning to the Office and Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, a manual on benchmarking the best practices for competitive advantage. And of course, you can check it out on Amazon. Probably don't want to visit bookstores with Delta around. Then you can check out, yep, you can check out my own resources on my website called disasteravoidanceexperts.com. That's going to have blogs, videocasts, podcasts, online classes, books, manuals, coaching, training, consulting, all of those sorts of good things. And you especially should check out disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. That'll have a free eight-module video-based course on making the wisest decisions for our increasingly disrupted future and an assessment on avoiding these dangerous judgment errors in the workplace that we talked about, like the false consensus effect and functional fixedness. Again, that's going to be at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Gleb, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. 